take a copy of God's Word this morning, and we're going to turn open to the book of 1 Corinthians, using a pew Bible there. It's on page 955 in the pew Bible. This morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In verse 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 955. And let's go ahead and let's pray before we open the word together this morning. Father, at the start of this new year, we are thankful. We're thankful that you've preserved our lives, that you've given us the breath of life this morning, that we're able to sing you praise. We're able to delight in you, and that we're able to give you thanksgiving. Confess the great need of this hour, of this day, of this year, is that we would hear, that you would give us ears to hear. And amidst all of the cacophony of voices in this world, that we would hear your voice above all. And so we pray. We pray that you begin our year with speaking to us. We pray that this would be a year in which we find that your voice resonates deeper and deeper within us. We know your truth and we know you as our God more fully. May we have the beginnings of it even this morning. We pray all of this in the strong name of the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, I'm going to back up to verse 17. Verse 20 is what we're focusing on. This is the holy, inerrant, sufficient Word of God. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality, every other Sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades. Word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. I don't know, four or five, maybe six years ago, we began to rethink kind of our calendar year as a church together, University Reformed Church. We're a university church, and so... Our year very much is structured on the academic year. We exist with that being our main mission field, uh, Michigan State University. We seek to reach students and faculty and scholars and staff with 
the truth of the gospel, and we hope that when they come in the doors here that they find this to be a place of warm hospitality and a place of truth as they are welcomed uh, within the church building. Uh, we see that as our great mission field outside our back door. We spend the summer gearing up for the fall. We are gearing up for establishing the different ministries that we do of outreach and also of getting ourselves ready to be hospitable. And uh, so we gear up for that during the summer as well as we gear up for all of the other ministries that we have here in the church as we seek to serve one another. And so we plan and we recruit for men's ministries and women's ministries and children's ministries and youth ministries and our young adults ministries and young professionals ministries and our growth group ministries, all of these different things. And then we seek to do one outreach to the community during the summer as we're seeking just to onboard one another of serving our community. And as we looked at this four, five, six years ago, I don't know what it was as a leadership of the church, we said, you know, we have the beginning of our year uh, where it seems like we have a little bit of a gap and an opportunity. And so we establish what we call our faith focus at the beginning of the year. Our faith focus is all we are doing is we're, we're attempting to look at something within our body life as a church as we think about our congregation together and our church together. What is it that we just want to, to drill down a little more in together? What is it that we need to have a little more in the DNA of our congregation? We're not a church that has arrived. We have much growing to do. And so we have sought to do that with our faith focus each January. We've tackled together over the years prayer and living with the pilgrim mindset and our identity in Christ and many other things. And what we do is in January, we preach through it on Sunday mornings. We take a break from our expositional preaching through books of the Bible, and we do a topical series in January on Sunday morning on this thing that we're just seeking to drill down a little more in the DNA of our church. And then on Sunday evenings, what we do is we just seek to, tra to, to tackle it practically and to work it out together. And then what we ask our growth groups to do in January and February would encourage all of you to be in a growth group. In January and February, they take one of three different ways of studying that topic and just helping to work it through their growth group. And then we ask all of our different ministry leaders to try and work it through their ministry areas in January and February as we just focus on this together as a church. And so we're beginning that this morning. This year, it's a little different year in this regard because of what we've done this past year in that our elders, the session of our church, has spent a lot of time over this last year praying and thinking and deliberating on a vision for our church as we go forward together. And we're excited to roll this out to you as our faith focus this year. 
Uh, with this vision, we're seeking to maintain and carry forward what URC has always been and what it has always been marked by, even as we seek to go forward together as a church by God's grace. And we've identified three immovable pillars of URC. Three things that can't be moved. We are a church that is committed to proclaiming Christ, growing in Christ, and advancing the mission of Christ. We're committed to proclaiming Christ, growing in Christ, and advancing the mission of Christ. These are three immovable pillars that have marked URC in its history, and it's what we hope will continue to mark URC as we go forward. And we're going to explore each of those things, those three immovable pillars over these next weeks together. And then what we're going to do on Sunday evenings is we're going to take that last one, advancing the mission of Christ, and we're going to look at what the elders have put together for just the next five years. What is it that we're going to seek to do as a church? What are we going to focus upon over these next five years as we seek to advance the mission of Christ? And we'll preach through that on Sunday evenings. But before we get to all of that, there's something that comes first. And that is what we believe overarches all of our life together. And that is that there is a banner that flies over our church. Universal Reformed Church exists to glorify and enjoy Christ. That's the banner. That's the all-encompassing outlook on everything that we do. It's more than a soundbite, it's more than a slogan, it's our heartbeat. We exist as a church to glorify and enjoy Christ. In fact, as I think about my time at URC, I uh, think this is 11 years, this is what I especially love about this church. These two things. We seek to glorify and enjoy Christ. I want to look at that with you this morning. Just those two points. First, we exist to glorify Christ. We're a university reformed church. We are reformed. What does that mean? Well, there are a number of different ways that we could define reform, that we could think about it together. But beyond anything else, we simply mean that we are a biblical church. We stand upon the Bible, what the Bible teaches. The foundation of our church all of our preaching, all of our ministries, all of our life is the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself being the chief cornerstone. By reformed, we simply mean that we are biblical. God establishes truth and He's revealed it by His Word. We are Bible people. 
And that reliance upon the Bible shapes our understanding of life, of this world, and of the church. And a major part of that teaching that we find in the Bible is that there is a God, and that God is sovereign. He is a sovereign God who we owe everything to. Everything. We have a high view of Scripture, and we have a high view of God. There's nothing, nothing more essential than we orient our lives and we orient the lives of our children and we orient the lives of our neighbors and we see people on this campus orient their lives upon the fact that there is a God. He has told us who He is. He is not left to our whims and our imaginations. He has told us in His Word who He is and what He desires from us. We exist. To glorify God. We could turn to a number of passages this morning. I've simply selected one here in 1 Corinthians. Paul is addressing this church in Corinth. It's a church that has a, a host of problems. And chuckle when people say, we need to get back to the early church. We want to look like the early church. Really, you don't want to look like the church in Corinth. church in Corinth had a host of different problems. There were false prophets in their midst. They were abusing the Lord's table. They were abusing worship. They were committing sexual infidelity. There was a man even sleeping with his, his father's wife. Uh, there are divisions within the church. There are all kinds of problems within the church in Corinth. And Paul, throughout this letter, is going to seek to reorient the members of this church so that they are viewing things rightly. He wants them to see life in a right perspective because so much foolishness has gripped them. And so he says in our text... In the context here of chapter 6, he is addressing the sexual immorality that some of them have embraced within the congregation, and he says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Here's a right perspective for a new year. This is it right here. Here's a right perspective for a church. Here's a right perspective for a life together as a church. You are not your own. If I could tattoo something on yours and my minds, it would be this. Jason, you are not your own. Priscilla, you are not your own. Michael, you are not your own. We're not our own. Not our own. And that we were created not to be our own. You and I were created as dependent beings, created as image bearers of God, chief out of all of creation. He created you and I, unique in all of creation, to be His very image bearers in this world, created, meant to live for Him, never apart from Him, always dependent upon Him, with a purpose to glorify Him. 
I may rub you. Say, I'm not my own. Feel very much like my own. Created for another. Yes. Yes, you are. Some have argued over the centuries that such a view destroys humanity. John Paul Sartre, the 20th century philosopher and existentialist, was a prime example of this. He argued that if God truly exists, then humanity can't exist. And if humanity truly exists, then God can't exist. Interesting. How did he get there? Because he has a great influence upon modern day thought today. He, he rightly understood that if God exists, then mankind exists dependent upon God and was created with purpose. If God exists, then Sartre said man cannot be truly free. But conversely, if man exists and man is truly free, then God cannot exist. Sartre said that we know we are free. He said we know this because we are immoral creatures. You and I choose from right and wrong. We choose what we are going to do. We are rational beings who have wills. We have volition. We make decisions and exercise that will. Therefore, he came to the conclusion that God cannot exist, which of course means that if God does not exist, you do not exist for God. The problem with his logic is how he defined freedom. Sproul pointed out years ago, for Sartre, freedom meant autonomous freedom. He believed that if you don't have autonomy, then your freedom is a mirage. What's autonomy? Well, it's two words. You can do it. The first word, auto, you know that word. That the word just means self. And if you know the second part of that word, these two words that are combined together autonomous, auto, self, namas, which many of you know, which just means law. So, auto, autonomy, auto, namas, self-law, self-governments, a law unto myself. For start, freedom meant absolute self-governance. Nothing rules us. Nothing over us. But here's where he's wrong. Man is free. You and I are free. We make decisions. It's just not autonomous freedom. No one forces me to do anything. I make decisions by my own will. Now you can influence me. You can cajole me. You can even limit my options from what it is that I am able to choose from. But I still choose. I am free in that sense. But not as free as God. He's enthroned over all of my decisions. Nothing influences him. Nothing cajoles him. Nothing limits him but himself. In the beginning, this is why it is so key in Genesis, in the beginning was God. Nothing causes him to do anything. He is dependent upon nothing. 
But that is not true of you and me. He formed us from the dust of the ground. He breathed life into us. We were created as dependent beings. And as dependent beings, we were created with purpose. We are not our own. We were created for Him. We have a telos, as philosophers say. We have an end. There is a purpose for our creation. And it does not terminate upon ourselves or even one another. It terminates upon Him. You were created for Him. So much silliness in this world. And all of the silliness at its root is found in the seeking of self. As if you and I exist for ourselves. Self-glory is a ruinous pursuit. It is ruinous for you, and it is ruinous for the world that you dwell in. It's a good thing to remind ourselves of as we enter the new year. To think about, what do I want my year to look like? What is it I want to focus on? It's not about you. Your life's not about you. about Him. You're not your own. It's not just that you were created for Him, you were redeemed for Him if you were a Christian. And that, frankly, is Paul's point in this text. That is the context. Christ came into the world to save you body and soul. So Paul's emphasis here in 1 Corinthians 6.20 is that you must, as a Christian, honor Christ in your body and according to your soul. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you must, Paul says, quote, glorify God in your body. That's the context. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You exist to glorify Christ. Of course, what is interesting about that is that Paul is taking imagery that is often used of the entire church and he's applying it to you and I as individuals. So in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, he's speaking to the entire church, the whole. And he says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Whole church. In Ephesians 2, he says of the church, We are members of it, are being joined together, growing into a holy temple unto the Lord. What is true of the whole is applied to the individual, and what is true of the individual is applied to the whole. We exist to glorify Christ. That is why this church exists. That is why you exist in this church. It's not to promote the name of this church. It's not to promote the name of this denomination. It's not to promote the name of this or that ministry. It's surely not to promote the name of the pastor. This church exists as you exist to give glory to Christ. We seek to make His name known. And to exalt His name. I 
love how the psalmist will say it in Psalm 29. He will say, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. What glory is due His name? Possess a high view of God and seek to worship Him with all that we are. Again, notice the context why. Paul says, because we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple was the dwelling place of, of God with man in the Old Testament. And now he says, we are a temple of the Lord. The place meant for worship and the place meant to ascribe Him glory. If you think back to the Old Testament and the erecting of that Solomonic temple when Solomon is building the temple, it's an it's a incredible national undertaking. It is monumental. It, it is a generational achievement. He will contract with Lebanon to get cedar and to get rock and stone. And it requires an undertaking of 30,000 laborers and 70,000 burden bearers and 80,000 stone cutters and 3,300 chief officers, we are told. And then you think of all of the bronze and all of the gold and all of the silver and all of the fine linen and all of the fine yarn that was contributed to make the furnishings and all of this temple. And then when Solomon goes in and he dedicates the temple, he will sacrifice 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Imagine that cost. And yet that temple did not cost a fraction of what was paid to make you a temple of the living God. Paul says, for you were bought with a price. This temple, this body, was purchased at the cost of the very Son of God. As Peter will say, you were ransomed. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Not a striking statement when you begin to understand everything that underlies that. You were purchased with the precious blood of Christ. Paul is laying down fact. That is fact. You were bought 
with a price. And for him, there is a great implication that flows from that fact. There's a purpose clause here. Here's the fact. You were bought with a price. Here's the implication. So, purpose clause. So, glorify God in your body. You were created to glorify Christ, and you were recreated to glorify Christ. You're not your own. We'll say just a few chapters over in chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of Christ. Stephen Lawson once said, better to live a short life for the glory of God than a long life promoting yourself. Exist to glorify Christ. Created and recreated to glorify Christ. Glorifying Christ becomes the duty of the Christian, even as it equally becomes our delight. And that leads to our second, much shorter point. URC exists to glorify, and then secondly, to enjoy Christ. It is one of the great kindnesses. I think the greatest of eternal blessings. That God has knitted together His glory and our enjoyment. He's knitted them together. Continually astounds and blesses me. Because you see, he didn't have to. (laughs) That's not required of him. He could have made it absolute drudgery for you and I to worship him and to give him glory and to serve him. It's an exceeding kindness that he made it a great desire of our hearts. And it is the great desire of your heart, whether you know it or not. His glory and our enjoyment are eternally tied together. I drive a minivan. I never thought I would. Not only do I drive a minivan, I drive a minivan that has 230,000 miles on it. Uh, And I'm secure enough in my manhood to drive this minivan and allow my wife to have a nice car. But I always have this thought when I'm driving the minivan and I pull up, and it's always East Lansing, pull up next to a Corvette or that Lamborghini every once in a while that shows itself or a Ferrari And I pull up next to that sports car while I'm cruising on the road in my minivan. It always strikes me when I have the opportunity to pass a sports car in my minivan. I confess I feel a little guilty and a little proud at the same time. But it just seems odd. Sports car is meant to go fast. I know it is happiest when it's going fast. 
It was built to go fast. I would dare even guess that that person in East Lansing who bought it, bought it because it goes fast. That's its purpose. You were created and bought with purpose. To give glory to Christ. So he's tied up your enjoyment with it. It's an exceeding kindness. You will not find true joy until you are worshiping God. And we will always find the most delight and joy in that which we were created for. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's two sides of the exact same coin. As He receives glory, we receive joy. He's tied it together. His glory, our delight. Our delight is His glory. It's how He's established it. I think of it like the picture in Ephesians 5 where... Paul will say to the husband, husband, love your wives as you love your own body. Why, Paul? Why do such a thing? He says, because it is your own body. You're one flesh. As you love your wife, so you love yourself, dear husband. And so it is for the Christian in Christ. We glory in Him. We are united with Him. We are His body. We are tied to Him. His glory is our glory. So there's delight. Spurgeon was thinking along these lines in a sermon once, and he said this. He said, As the queen is crowned with the king, so shall the church reign with Christ. What a joy it is thus to receive our honors in connection with our Lord. Crowned with the King. This is a vast increase of joy. It makes our seat in the heavenlies the more glorious when we remember that we are made to sit there together with Him. To rise in His resurrection. To live because He lives. To be crowned in His coronation. And to be glorified with His glory. This is a double, yea, a sevenfold bliss. The Queen's coronation with the King is much more joyous to her than if she were crowned alone. For all her husband's honors are her delight and give her, as it were, another coronation better than her own. His glory is our glory. Our glory. And here's an additional reality. As we find ourselves enjoying Christ, the good things He has given us in the world become more enjoyable. So often people think that you become a Christian and it becomes a kind of Debbie Downer kind of lifestyle. And it's just the opposite. Not everyone has this experience, the experience that I did when I came to Saving Faith, but I've read multiple 
people throughout church history having this exact same experience that I have. So it's not unique to me. But I can remember as a freshman in college coming to Saving Faith. And I remember sitting outside one day in the quad at Eastern Illinois University. Right after I had come to Saving Faith. I remember looking up on a spring day and just all of a sudden having this realization that everything was more brilliant. The sun seemed brighter than I'd ever seen it before. The grass was greener and softer. I was listening to birds sing and thought, I have never heard such pretty songs from birds ever in my life. What was happening? Enjoyment of the good things of this world multiply as we enjoy these good gifts to the glory of their giver. It's all that was happening. I was experiencing them afresh and anew as gifts from the great giver above. There was greater delight. Food and drink and rest and recreation and sex and work all become more enjoyable when you are enjoying them to the glory of Christ. You truly know joy when you are enjoying Christ. The Christian is not a downcast, dour Dorothy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Enjoy Him. And we enjoy the good gifts He has given us. Your sea exists to glorify and enjoy Christ. We seek to marry a high view of God high view of God, sovereign over heaven and earth, sovereign over salvation, a God whom we bow before, married together with a warm enjoyment of the things He has given us here on earth and in one another. Both. They go together. So we thought about this, our church and vision. I've told our men in the midst of these conversations, I said, I'm not so concerned about church that we're not. We're concerned about the church that we are and what we have. So much visioning and so many times it's just about creating something that it is not, becoming something else, about proclaiming the name of the pastor or the name of the church. Or I rather think that we seek to glorify Christ by being good stewards of what He has already given to us. And He has given us so much. I have a long history of faithfulness in this congregation, standing upon the Word of having a heart for the lost, of welcoming in the stranger and the visitor, of a long history of peace and purity being maintained here, of a high degree of peace and purity here for a congregation. 
We have a gifted congregation with gifts all over the place. We have a leadership that is incredibly gifted and staff and elders and deacons. We have resources, financial and time and energy. We have great opportunity right outside our door. The fields are white unto the harvest. We have been given so much just want to steward that well. He can take it away all tomorrow. We have to keep telling ourselves that. He can take it away tomorrow. And it's His prerogative because He's sovereign. If He wants to, He can. And praise be to Him if He does. But as long as we have what we have, and whatever it is that we have, we want to be good stewards of it. To the glory of Christ. And as we seek to enjoy Christ. That's the banner over our church. That's the banner over your life. And I hope you're going into the new year with that upon your mind and heart. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful we are not our own. What a miserable church this would be. What a miserable world this would be. What a miserable eternity this would be. If we were all just our own. We thank you for the great gift that you've bought us with a price. And what a costly price it was. We pray that we would glorify you in the person of your Son with all that we are, that we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, that we would do to your glory, that we would glorify you in our bodies, for you are worthy. And may we find it to be the great joy and delight of our lives as a church, as families, as individuals. And we pray all of this in the strong name of Christ. Amen.